said, now, Tom, I'm from England. We were the bad guys. <laughs> and I'm saying this to you. You need to hear what I'm saying. And what happened on November 5th on the banks of the Hawk Hawking River, he said, that's our big day in England. That's, you know, remember, remember the 5th of November. That's Guy Fox. That's when we have our fireworks and our bonfires. And he said, they don't hold a candle to what happened on the banks of the Hawking River. You are listening to History Man, the platform for historians, curators, and authors to tell their stories of the American Revolution, walk in the footsteps of heroes, and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are excited to have Thomas O'Grady, Director of Outreach and Development and Director Emeritus at Southeast Ohio History Center in Athens, Ohio. So welcome, Tom. Thank you. Tom, uh, you and I met here recently when I was up touring Point Pleasant and looking at history from Lord Dunmore's War. And good gracious, I ran into you and uh, you've just got all sorts of information that I know that my listeners would love to hear, especially in terms of uh, the Gower Resolves at Fort Gower. And you and I just hit it off. Love for you to start us off by, by telling us where Fort Gower is and how it came to be. And we'll just kind of lead right into uh, the history that kind of predates a lot of the history that we know from the Revolutionary War. Right. Well, Fort Gower was a, a very, very small fort established by Lord Dunmore on his expedition into the Ohio country in uh, the autumn of 1774. Chief Logan, his family was massacred on the Ohio River in April of that year. And in retaliation, he crossed the river and went into what was Virginia at the time and started burning cabins and retaliating and getting revenge for that. Lord Dunmore and other people of means back east were had been looking at the Ohio country, you might say, for real estate development back in the day. Um, George Washington and folks like that. Washington had been down the Ohio River just a few years earlier scouting for land to award to veterans of the uh, French and Indian War. So they were eyeballing this this land, but it was already signed by treaty. How many treaties? I'm not sure. I'm not sure where they guaranteed that to be Native American territory. And uh, so Dunmore needed to put down this uprising and calm things down out here in the Ohio country. So he he formed an army, one wing of which he led down the Ohio River from Pittsburgh in boats of some sort. And then another wing led by Andrew Lewis that came down the New River and the Kanawha. And they were supposed to meet at Point Pleasant where the Kanawha River meets the Ohio. And it's not clear why Dunmore changed his plans, but when he made it down the Ohio River past the, the Great Muskingum River and he finally made it to the Hawk Hawking River, Instead of continuing on down to the Kanawha and Point Pleasant, they came ashore and built a small fort just basically to protect their supplies and their canoes while they marched up the Hawk Hawking River. While Dunmore and his wing of the army with somewhere between 12 and 16, 1700 men marched up the Hawking, camping at various place, places. And then when they got Fairly far up there, they crossed over into the Scioto Valley. And meanwhile, the Shawnee, under Chief Cornstalk and his sister, Nanhalima, a warrior chief of herself, attacked the uh, 
wing of the army at Point Pleasant. I get the thought is that it, he figured he was going to have to deal with both of these, and he'd rather do it, work on one at a time instead of fighting them all together. And so they attacked. They had a day-long battle at Point Pleasant. From the statistics I've seen, uh, there were more losses on the militia side than on the Native American side, but the Native Americans never gave enough of an edge on that to, to take control. So they, at the end of the day, retreated across the Ohio and then back up to their villages up around what we call Circleville, Ohio today. Meanwhile, Dunmore was working his way up the Hawk Hawking, crossed over into the Sauda Valley. After a few days or so, they had a treaty with Cornstalk and his sister and some of those folks. And Cornstalk was expecting some pretty harsh. He, he figured they either had to kill all their women and children and then fight to the death against this, this army or accept whatever uh, conditions of the treaty. And they, they thought they would be pretty harsh, but they weren't. And so all they had to do basically was agree not to continue hostilities. And so they did that. They headed back afterwards to the, and, and this story involves, I don't know how much people might know about Chief Logan, but he was of Seneca. He'd grown up in upstate New York and like all the rest, they'd been pushed into the Ohio country. And he still was pretty bitter at the time of the treaty. And so he refused to attend it. And so a brother-in-law of his, sought him out and found him underneath this giant spreading elm tree over on the Pickaway Plains, where he gave a very impassioned speech, which has gone down in history, known as Logan's Lament. And it's said that at one point in American history, every school child committed that speech to memory. When it got back East, Jefferson got a hold of it, and he printed it up in his the only book he ever published, Notes on Virginia, and he compared Logan's speech to the oratory of Demosthenes and Cicero, and I uh, thought it was quite an eloquent presentation. And uh, I don't have it handy here. I'd share it with you. It's it's not long, but it goes something like, what white man ever entered Logan's cabin hungry and he fed him not meat? What white man ever entered Logan's cabin naked and he did not clothe him? And all but any, he, he thought to live with the white man and, and, he got along with him well, but as for the actions for that previous spring, you know, and, and killed every member of Logan's family. And so he retaliated and he said, you know, he's happy about the beams of peace, but he wasn't going to participate in that. And then his final statement was, who is there to mourn for Logan? Not one. And that, that really caught Jefferson. Anyway, uh, as these Folks got back as Dunmore and his army got back down to uh, Fort Gower. And and I might mention a few of the people he had in this army uh, with his 12 to 1,600 people. George Rogers Clark, uh, the older brother of William Clark of Lewis and Clark fame. Uh, Daniel Morgan, who won a pretty significant battle down there in South Carolina at Cowpens during the Revolution. And these people were all unheard of at the time. Colonel Crawford, a good friend of uh, of George Washington's, who was ultimately burned at the stake by Wyandots up in northwest Ohio uh, about 10 or 12 years later. Ebenezer Zane, who built the first road through southeast Ohio or through the Ohio country called Zane's Trace. It was federally funded after, you know, the revolution. He also built Zanesville. So 
these were, you know, many of the places in Ohio today and some in Kentucky are named after some of the people who were in, in Dunmore's army. So anyway, they get back to uh, Fort Gower and I guess they're feeling their oats to some degree. And, you know, some of them have survived battle. They've been living off the land and taking care of themselves for some number of, of weeks and months. And so they passed these resolutions on the banks of the Hawking River on November 5th, 1774. Some academics, not all, claim that it would have been possibly the first American declaration of independence against the king and the crown in England. There have been arguments I've seen where some people want to claim the uh, Battle of Point Pleasant was the first battle of the American Revolution. And I've seen plenty of arguments against that because that particular battle seemed to have nothing to do with people's gripes against England and the king at that point. It, it had more to do with coming down, coming out here to the Ohio country and seeing what they could uh, finagle away from the Native American peoples. So in a nutshell, that's how that goes. And, you know, the the uh, declaration, and it says it's, it's a meeting of officers under Earl of Dunmore at Fort Gower on the west side of the Hawking, November 5th, 1774. I think it's interesting that uh, Lord Dunmore is a friend to the settlers in that area at the time, and then suddenly they hear about this this associational push or to get these associational documents and while they're on the banks of of this river in the Ohio River Valley after this great big battle, they suddenly are pinning this this piece of parchment on the banks of the river uh, that has to do with this this international problem with with England. I find that pretty interesting that they still had a mindset that they were Americans and that uh, they had a problem with England. Was yeah, that is interesting. So they lost. They lost companions. They had this treaty with Native Americans. And when they get back, their resolves have nothing to do with that. It has to do with their complaints and gripes with the with the crown. That is an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And Lord Dunmore was not always a friend. I mean, when he got back, he he suddenly became their their enemy in many ways. Right. Right. And he was the the only one, as, as I understand it, he's the only one who came out here that was that represented Great Britain. He was the Scottish Earl, and all the rest of them were colonists. Right. He uh, he found himself right in the middle of uh, uh, of this this huge huge debate on an inter- international scale. Uh, but didn't the British have Indian agents that helped quell the uprisings out out in the back country like that? None are associated with that story. There really? was a couple of agents. A guy named Campbell. Uh huh. And another one, but they seem to have done a lot of their work in the Pennsylvania area. I see. But none of them made it to the Ohio country, to my knowledge. So do you have a copy of the Gower Resolves that you could read to us? Well, I have a a parchment here that uh, I I believe is a facsimile to it, yeah. I'd love for you to read that because I know that uh, over the course of these associational documents, you you see a change in, in 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 the way people perceive themselves as people of the king, the king's men, and that they 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 give their loyalty to the king, but they have these other issues with Parliament. And then as we get into Thomas Paine's uh, common sense, all of a sudden it changes to no, we're Americans first, 
but the, the Gower Resolves are some of the first ones that were out there, especially in the Southern Campaign. So I think it's interesting for our listeners to hear the thoughts and uh, and issues that came up in in these in this particular document. It's referred to as the Fort Gower Resolves in plural. There are two of them. It goes resolved that we will bear the most faithful allegiance to His Majesty King George the Third, whilst His Majesty delights to reign over a brave and free people. That we will, at the expense of life and everything dear and valuable exert ourselves in support of the honor of his crown and the dignity of the British Empire. But as the love of liberty and the attachment to the real interests and rights of America outweigh every other consideration, we resolve that we will exert every power within us for the defense of American liberty and for the support of her just rights and privileges not in any precipitous, riotous, or tumultuous manner, but when regularly called forth by the unanimous voice of our countrymen. And then resolved that we entertain the greatest respect for His Excellency, the Right Honorable Lord Dunmore, who commanded the expedition against the Shawnees, and who, we are confident, underwent the great fatigue of this singular campaign from no other motive than the true interest of this country, signed by order and in behalf of the whole Corps, Benjamin Ashby, clerk. It says a lot in a few words. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. So when you read that, what do you take away from it? Well, that they apparently were aware of all the gripes going on back east about possibly um, not having representation in the decisions that were being made over their lives, but they were, they still had a certain amount of respect for the crown. That's their heritage. Uh, it's what they grew up with, but they, they were understanding that they were getting a lot of decisions were made without their representation. And so they would defend the King as long as he chose to roll over, rule over a, a free American people. But if he went beyond that, or if, if England went beyond that, then the freedom was the important thing. So I, I'd say that they were, they, they were getting these feelings of um, independence that they probably grew up experiencing a little bit more, the desire of it and the feeling of on their own, especially the further away they got from the coast. I'd say further you got into the back wilderness, the less you felt the the heavy hand of of the crown. So, so that document that you read, you said it was a facsimile. The original document, where did that end up at? That's How a good did it question. Get there? When I when I first found out a fellow had this one, I thought maybe he had the real thing, but you know, I could see by the condition of it that it had been pinned up on a bulletin board and maybe moved several times because the corners were all tattered with thumbtack holes. And I know that in 1974, at the 200th anniversary of the Fort Gower Resolves, the Ohio Historical Society convened a conference to celebrate that, and they had speakers come in. And my guess is that this this document that, that this fella turned up with, which he purchased in, a, in an auction of, a, of an abandoned um, storage locker, in some small town in Southwest Ohio that 
that it was a facsimile made because there's and the particular document I have has uh, probably 30 signatures at the bottom of it. And none of them represent any of the names of the, any of those officers I mentioned, Daniel Morgan or, or George Rogers Clark or Colonel Crawford or any of the people. And there are names of two women on this, two female names on this document. So I kind of get the feeling that this was a, a facsimile made. Maybe there were copies made for that conference. And then at some point, maybe attendees signed in. So I haven't been able to connect any of the names on here with any of the history. I'm guessing this was at, at, a, at the conference. But I haven't verified that yet either. Handwriting on it is really, really elaborate. And it looks like something that came out of those that era. Sure. Pretty nice. And you're delving into history or you're digging up history. Uh, can you tell us anything about where the original uh, Fort Gower Resolves ended up? Did, was it published in a newspaper somewhere? How do we know that it was a... Yes, uh, an they, they wrote it on the banks of the Hawk Talking on November 5th, 1774. And I don't know the date, but it was published in the Virginia Gazette around December 10th, 1774. And... You can only imagine how many newspapers there might have been in the days. It's probably something that Thomas Jefferson read in the Gazette. And then um, it was also read on the floor of Parliament in March of 1775. And I don't know how long it took to walk back to the coast. And I know it took two to three months to cross the sea in those days. So to have it read on the floor of Parliament as early as March of 1775, that's just four and a half months later. Uh, we had a fellow here who said that's that's going viral in the wilderness. Well, what connections can you make between this document and the Declaration of Independence? Well, only that there is a a, a statement here that they would defend the, the, the rights of citizens over the, it didn't say against the crown, but that's the implication of it because of the first statement stating that they would defend the crown. But the next statement says, but, and that's a big but. And so... That and then number two, it was read. It was in the Virginia Gazette, so it was it was no doubt read by Thomas Jefferson. And it was this was eighteen months before he penned his declaration. And I, I, he seems to have been the kind of guy who read everything he could get his hands on, and he would have been aware of what was on, going on in the news. And I don't know the dates of some of the other resolves that were established, the Fincastle resolves and the Boda Tort resolves, but. I would I would imagine that he was on top of all of that. He was he had his, you know, ear to the ground and a, his finger on the pulse. Well, what would you wish people to take away from a deeper dive into this document? Well, you know, we had a fellow visit here uh, about eight or nine years ago, and he was a. I have to share this story. He was born in England, born and raised in England, but he came to the states in 1970, and he ended up teaching chemistry for an entire career in Blacksburg, Virginia. And when he retired, he started doing local history in Virginia. And he stumbled on this story, and he did considerable amount of research on it. And so he was on his way to the Ohio Historical Society to give a paper on the Fort Gower Resolves. And he stopped here in Athens, and he made a very, very strong point about how important this was. He said, not only should every kid in Athens County know this story, but every kid in America should know it. He said, because this had national and international significance. You know, he felt that it led to 
the Declaration of Independence and the, the Revolutionary War. And that it, it's the kind of thing that inspired people to desire freedom and independence around the world. And he said, now, Tom, I'm from England. We were the bad guys. <laughs> and I'm saying this to you. You need to hear what I'm saying. And what happened on November 5th on the banks of the Hawk Hawking River, he said, that's our big day in England. That's, you know, remember, remember the 5th of November. That's Guy Fawkes. That's when we have our fireworks and our bonfires. And he said, they don't hold a candle to what happened on the banks of the Hawking River. And he was from England and he's, he's so emphatic about this. And then he donated a thousand dollars to the historical society to insist that we put a historic marker up down in what's the confluence of the Hawking River and the Ohio River today at, at a village called Hawkingport. And, and so he came and he came back when we did that and he, he helped dedicate it. And he passed away, unfortunately, within a week of that. Or he'd still be out giving talks on the Fort Gower resolves. I got the very strong opinion or feeling that this was going to consume the rest of his career, his right. life. He was going far and wide. I think you can go online and find YouTube videos of him giving talks on the Fort Gower resolves. And I didn't know that at the time. I Actually, I just started looking more into it since you stopped by and, and visited. I want to find out what else I could learn about it. And, there he was, giving talks on it online. Well, it sounds like it's significant to every American. As you, as you look back in your history and you try to determine the whys, why did we rise up against England? Why why did we throw off that parentage? What were, what were the causes? And certainly this is one where you see everyday people giving the putting down on paper their thoughts and, and desires and, and, and uh, the reasons why they – they actually rebelled against England. Uh, what would you... You know, you asked a question a minute ago about what would I want people to take away with this thing. And, you know, this is not a competition between what's the first declaration of independence in American history or not. Nothing like that. It's the American Declaration of Independence is, is what it is, and it's so significant. But... Maybe it has a bigger, longer history of its formation and development. And this this story here can be a part of that, that this stuff doesn't just happen overnight. And like you were asking, here these guys are out here fighting Native Americans about land out here in the Ohio country, in the wilderness, basically. And the first chance they have to express themselves, they're talking about <laughs> what's going on back on the shore. And with right. England and the crown and, and and that's significant. So none of this stuff happened instantaneously. This is stuff that had to be on these people's minds and in their hearts. And they had to be thinking about what was going on in their absence back home because they were gone for some months and into into unknown territory, basically. Yet they're right. still thinking about how they're being treated by the crown. I think you're right. As we finish up, tell us a little bit about the Southeast Ohio History Center. Well, we, we a few years ago were the, the Athens County Historical Society and Museum, and we focused on one county down here. But the organization tried to save this old church. We ended up buying this 100-year-old church and moving into it, 100-year-old church. And uh, it's going to take a lot of money to fix that. And and it happens to be different. The politics around this this neighborhood is different from what's going on in the state at the state level in Columbus. And so we were 
we were told if you guys need money out of the state, you'd be better off representing a larger region than just Athens County. And we thought about that. And all of this territory used to be Washington County. And when Ohio became a state in uh, 1803, there were four counties that made up Southeast Ohio. Athens County didn't even exist. And a couple of years later, Athens was created and it was so much bigger. And then subsequent to that, they hacked into all these counties to make all of the other counties in the region. So we realized we all have a common heritage down here. One of the things we've learned is that, that, that a lot of Southeast Ohio history turns out to be American history. And in some cases, we have examples of world history. And so one of the things we're trying to do is work with our neighbors. This is Appalachian, Ohio. So it's the poor section of the state. We're trying to work with our neighbors who have historical societies that are completely run by volunteers to, to be a louder voice to, for preservation because we're losing our historic buildings left and right. And we don't have the funding to save that stuff. So we wanna be a louder voice to remind people in Columbus that this is where Ohio began in this Southeast section. It's where the Fort Gower resolves came from. And people in Columbus haven't heard of these things yet. So that's our goal is to put Southeast Ohio in a bigger position in, in the minds of the state of Ohio. That's one thing. And then basically to work with our neighbors, we all need to help each other out. The people who came and settled here came from everywhere. Was, Southeast Ohio is as much of a melting pot as anywhere. And the resources they harvested not only built all the towns of Southeast Ohio, they re harvested the resources that built the big cities of Ohio and much of the Midwest. And we need to remind folks of that. And, you know, we we, uh, we just have to work together to, to do that. And uh, that's our goal. How would they reach you? Check us out on, on the World Wide Web at www.southeastohio.org online. My email is Tom at southeastohio.org. So one last question I try to ask uh, all, all my guests is, what does liberty mean to you? Boy, that's, that's something I think I've grown up taking for granted my whole life uh, because we just claim to have it. You know, this is a free country, all that kind of thing. And, you know, the more you look at it, the more you realize nothing's free. <laughs> and a whole lot of people shed a lot of blood and you know, went through a lot of misery for us to be able to even claim this independence and this freedom. And I, in my own experience, I know that, you know, you can talk about free speech. Well, whenever I've said something that has any moment, all of a sudden I realize, boy, there's a cost to that. You know, I didn't know just by saying what I thought or trying to help out on something that I was going to step on so many toes. So yeah, it can be free as long as you're not really pushing the envelope at all. But the minute you start, you realize that there's a cost to everything. So freedom is is as is much of an idea as anything else. And, and I hear a lot of people saying, well, I have rights that come with this freedom and all this. But what I rarely hear us say is, I have these rights, but with every right comes all these responsibilities. And I never hear anybody evoking their awareness of that. And I think that hurts us because we don't recognize the responsibilities that come with, with these declarations. Tom, I appreciate you spending time with me. Thank you for introducing us to the Gower Resolves. My pleasure and whatever I can do to help raise awareness about this pre-revolutionary history in America. You know, people didn't just do this overnight. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you.